It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you very much for being with me this morning. I never knew I had so many listeners on the West Coast and in San Francisco. I have received a number of comments, and obviously those of you listening are listening on the podcast on WGN. And I want to give a special shout-out to Nancy from Indian Wells. Nancy responded to my comment on life in San Francisco and the broken windows. And she said simply, I agree with you. When is it going to end? So I guess I touched a nerve with those of you in San Francisco who are in the new windshield or new side window business. Um, certainly not going to revisit that show today, but I guess uh, it's, it's much more prevalent than even I thought it was given the number of individuals who contacted me and said, I've had my car window smashed. Uh, the, the general consensus seems to be somehow they know if it's a rental car. And if it's a rental car, you're an easy target. So if you're going to San Francisco to go hiking as I did, maybe some way or another, don't have a rental car. Anyway, moving on from San Francisco and the listeners in the West Coast, I want to start off with a story that is really, to me, Phenomenally interesting, and hopefully it will be to you. The headline is Shifting Snows at Snow Geese, not not snowstorms. North America's light geese breeding colonies are undergoing changes. This is a story about the evolution of birds, and I, and I think it's central to what we often talk about here on the Great Outdoors show, which is that nature is not static, and the things that we assume today are not going to be true in the natural world um, forever. In fact, they change quickly. We have to remember that for a lot of birds, a generation is one year, and for some species, it might be two or three, but they are quick to adapt or they perish, and it's been that way since the ending of the last ice age. And so that's why I have a very hard time with all the predictions we make about the extinction of species and the incredible, basically terrible situations that are going to happen for all kinds of birds as, as we go through a, a period of, of climate change. And that is, birds have wings. They get up and they fly. They figure things out. And they have for millennium. So what's happening with snow geese is a great example. First of all, I, I have talked a bit about how they've adapted. All geese have adapted to to uh humans and agriculture and really i think the only goose species that is in pretty tough shape is the aleutian goose and and that nests exclusively in alaska and one of the reasons for it being in in not so great shape is the continued stealing of eggs by um by the natives in alaska and they've done this forever uh but in the case of snow geese they, uh, they have changed so fundamentally. 35 years ago, if you wanted to go snow goose hunting, 
you went to Rock Lake, North Dakota, or you went up to the Delta Marsh in Saskatchewan, or you hung around in southwestern Manitoba and Whitewater Lake in particular and experienced just unbelievable populations of snow geese. If you went to those three places today, you would not see a snow goose. In fact, it would be odd if you saw a snow goose. I remember so well in the mid-1980s digging holes on the west side and field pits in the west side of Lake Manitoba with my great friend Buddy Melgus, who was sailing boats all over the world in the America's Cup and winning races. But when it came to October, he was going to be in the stubble fields of, of Manitoba. And we would have geese coming off Lake Manitoba in just waves, skeins of geese would just come and come. It was phenomenal. Well, what's happened is snow geese are moving west, and they are moving west in a dramatic way. The snow goose breeding range, West Hudson Bay Colony, Baffin Island Colony, Queen Maud Gulf Colony, these were, these were the big colonies. Hudson Bay was the, the biggest place for nesting snow geese, well, for as long as we have known anything about it. Well, today... Snow geese have moved west, and they are moving north. Banks Island, the North Slope, Wrangell Island, which is off the, it's actually, it's off the far northwest coast of, of Alaska. And this is causing geese, when they migrate, they have a much more westerly migratory route. So no longer is the famed eastern part of the Mississippi Flyway, the Snow Goose Corridor, the birds migrating south in the fall. Instead, they're much more apt to come down further west, on through the western part of the Dakotas, on through Nebraska, and then they're ending up in just unbelievable numbers in southern Illinois, in Missouri, in the Boot Hill of Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi. The Gulf Coast of Louisiana has very few snow geese, and Texas has, has almost none. The Katy Prairie of Texas, of course, was the place if you wanted to go hunt snow geese 40 years ago and before, you went to the Grand Prairie of Texas, and that's where snow goose hunting was almost invented. There's hardly a snow goose that goes there anymore. So snow geese and other geese and other birds are showing us they adapt. They don't just go to the same place every year. If the conditions are not favorable, over time, if they don't do it immediately, but over time, they will adapt and colonize new areas and we're seeing that with snow geese in a way that is that is really profound. And in this occurring, of course, their populations are exploding. Never have there been more snow geese in the history of snow geese than there are now. It's absolutely astounding how they've evolved, adapted to agriculture. So the scientists going back to the actually the seventies, but the early eighties at least felt the snow geese populations were going to collapse because they would go to the breeding grounds and they would they were so many birds on the Arctic that they would simply eat themselves out of house and home and they would come back and the next year there would be nothing there for them to eat and they'd all starve. Literally, if you go back and read scientific papers from waterfowl biologists 40 years ago and 30 years ago, that was the common theory. The Arctic's a big place. In fact, the Arctic is enormous. And snow geese are simply moving. And they are not going back to sit on a barren tundra. 
and starve and not produce any young. They are moving to ever more fertile grounds or at least areas that can sustain them. And I would expect what we're seeing in geese, we've, we've certainly seen in mallard ducks, we've seen the adaptability of wood ducks. We, we have seen birds adapt to changing habitats and changing climates. And I think we're going to continue to see that. And in the case of geese, they seem to be adapting really well. And there are, uh, as I said a moment ago, arguably more geese today than there ever have been. So before I go to a break, I do want to say last Saturday night was a wonderful event. Yes, it it might be somewhat self-serving for me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. That is the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation celebrated its 60th anniversary and had a showing of the phenomenal IMAX movie, Wings Over Water, which will be, I'm sure, coming to the Chicago area soon. It's coming to Peoria uh, in a few weeks. Uh, There's going to be a big opening down there. And if you have the chance to see Wings Over Water, you will see one of the transformational films about prairie wetlands and birds. The photography is incredible, and the story, Michael Keaton is the, uh, is the narrator for the film, does a great job. There's a little music from Huey, Lew- Huey Lewis in the film as well, The Power of Love. It's really, um, it was great to see, and congratulations to the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation, one of Illinois' very own, just outside of Chicago, in Dundee, Illinois, for 60 years of leading research communications, land management, and education. Congratulations on 60 years to the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on the great outdoors. And when I do, a little bit of an update on on the bird flu, which is not good. And then I'm going to talk for a moment about green tree timber in Arkansas and management of green tree timber. I'll explain what that is when I come back. Thanks so much for being with me. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America. 720 WGN, and now a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter here, your host on Great Out on WGN Radio. And thank you for being with me. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. There was a, there's been a lot written now about the, the bird flu, as it's simply called. It is, I'm not going to cover some of the things that the popular press is covering. I try not to do that. I'm going to cover what is potentially a, a colossal concern, and that is game farm birds, pheasants, quail, 
chucker, a Garian partridge. If the bird flu makes it into something like McFarland's Game Farm up in Wisconsin or, or some of the other really big operators, we will not have very many pheasants, or quail, or chucker, Hungarian partridge, being released into the wild this fall. Uh, the um, shooting preserve industry is dependent on a series of very large breeders who raise birds and then they are released into the wild. If bird flu gets into these facilities, game is over for a huge part of the shooting industry. We certainly hope it doesn't. This is the biggest threat to the shooting preserve industry, uh, really, that it's ever faced. I know large operators, such as McFarland and others, are doing everything possible to ensure that bird flu doesn't get into their facility. Certainly, you've been reading about it getting into the facilities of other poultry farms. Uh, obviously, pheasants and quail are not. We don't consider them poultry, but they're birds. So, uh, or I don't consider them poultry, um, but it's it's a risky time. Uh, hope for the best. I'll certainly keep you apprised of that. Uh, I want to shift now to really a, a phenomenally interesting story, and that is the story of flooding timber, and particularly timber in Arkansas and Mississippi that has been managed now for, well, 60 years, 70 years, in the fall, flooding timber to provide habitat for migratory ducks and also opportunity for sportsmen and women. The idea has been, as millions, that the largest hardwood bottom in the world, forested bottom in the world, was in the lower Mississippi, starting basically at St. Louis and running all the way to the Gulf and the boot heel of Missouri and most of Arkansas and Virtually 100% of the Mississippi Delta and Mississippi and Northeast Louisiana was all incredibly great hardwood timber. Well, it's almost all been cut down except for a few remaining areas. And one of the things that Arkansas and Mississippi have been doing for a long time is they built levees around some of the lowest remaining timberlands on public land, the Cache River, the White River, Bayou Meda. Areas like that in Mississippi, Delta National Forest, Panther Swamp. And they flood these areas to attract waterfowl in the fall. It turns out that the annual flooding of these areas is killing the trees and changing the composition of the hardwoods and the trees, the pin oaks, which provide such great acorns for which the green tree timber of the South is famous, they're dying. And they're being replaced by trees that, that are not anywhere near as good mass producing, or they produce acorns that, is, that are too large for birds to want to eat. So nobody knew this until relatively recently when they realized huge swaths of, of forest, in fact, are sick. So Arkansas is devising a plan where they are going to dramatically reduce the flooding cycle of their green tree areas, which, which will mean two things. It will really reduce the wintering habitat for waterfowl, and it will also do, reduce the opportunity for, for hunters. Uh, some hunters in Arkansas are quick to say, we get it, you know, for the long-term health of what we have done for so long. We absolutely want to see the green tree timbers managed, areas managed. Others 
a little more self-serving, say, well, I've only got 10 or 15 years of duck hunting left or whatever it might be, and I want those areas flooded, and I don't really care what happens after me. Unfortunately, those individuals have a bit of a microphone for some reason. So the Arkansas Game and Fish Department is trying a, a very difficult education program to say, essentially, it was well-intentioned to create these reservoirs. But in, in nature, they didn't flood every year, and the duration of flooding was a lot less than it is now. The other thing that's happening is, as the Mississippi River has been higher and higher and higher due to the levees and the silting in of the river, it's hard to get the water out of these green tree timbers in the spring areas in the spring when the water needs to get out. So it's a bit of a, it, 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 it's a real problem. They want to get the water off, but the Mississippi River is in flood stage and they can't get the water off. And it's no surprise that most of the timber left in the south is in the lowest lying areas because the timber that was in the slightly higher ground was all cleared for agriculture. So it actually is the lowest lying areas of Arkansas, Mississippi Delta, and um, Louisiana, where the remaining timber exists. And, of course, that's the most susceptible to inundation uh, and flooding for long periods of time. So it's something not going to change tomorrow or over the next three to five years. But if it is not fixed, the green tea timber, which is such an important habitat area for, for waterfowl and is just so well known for its spectacular hunting opportunities, uh, it, it may be uh, largely lost. And that would be that would really be be terrible. Next week, I'm going to talk a bit about technology and what's taking place in the monitoring of not only birds but predators. It's fascinating, really fascinating. And then I'm going to revisit one of my favorite subjects, which a lot of you like and some of you loathe, and that is the subject of feral cats and uh, some ideas on what we might do with them. I thank you for listening. Hope you have a great week in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.